0: Jim Lieutenant. Welcome to my show, America. Can we talk today? We're going to talk about victory for Raymond Ibrahim who's joined us on a show before he spoke at the Army War College. Lieutenant General Stephen Quast joins me to talk about the American Space Force. I cannot wait to have you hear about this um, virus investigations when we're all through this of World Health Organization, China and others. And finally, the virus should drive change in U.S. law. And of course, I'll tell you why these stories matter to you. Stay tuned.
1: I am America. One voice united we stand. Debbie Georgiatis, host of America Can We Talk, is an author, attorney, and political analyst whose mission is to inspire the American political conversation about preserving liberty in the best country on earth.
0: <clears throat> and welcome again. Can we talk into today's first five? I'm Debbie Georganis. There are other things happening in the world, amazingly, beside all the news around the coronavirus. And I will get to it later in the show, but I want to share some other stories today. First, I want to mention, for those of you who listen regularly, you may remember the name Raymond Ibrahim. And he, if you didn't uh, happen to hear that interview, he's been on the show a couple of times. He's the author of the book called Sword and Scimitar. And he actually can read and speak and write in English and Arabic, and he is a brilliant scholar. His book, Sword and Scimitar, basically laid out why, what the distinctions are between the uh, the way American constitutional law works and wh- the way law works in Islam with respect to Sharia and the just entire different mindset that uh, comes from Islam. He also laid out in his book, Sword and Scimitar, a lengthy history Uh, detail. In fact, he wrote the book because he was able to read original texts in Arabic, wrote the book to lay out the argument that Islam has been engaged at one level or another in a war against non-Islam, the non-Islamic world, whether it was the Jewish world and the Christian world, the non-Islamic world since its inception, uh, filled with details. Just to buttress his point that America needs to be very alert to not just Islamic terror, but the notion of civilizational or cultural jihad. So he was invited when we spoke one time, he, uh, he was on the show because he'd been invited to speak at the Army War College last year in 2019 and CARE, uh, which is a uh, you know, it's, it has a very friendly sounding title, and it supposedly is about creating better relations between America um, and is the Islamic world, but has very close ties to Islamic terror. The CARE organization put so much pressure on the Army War College that they withdrew their invitation for him to speak. They put great pressure on describing him as an anti-Muslim bigot, and he is, he is just a i mean the guy is a scholar beyond question extremely well educated extreme as i said reads original text in arabic has read the quran numerous times he knows from whence he speaks but anyway they canceled him at army war college in response to pressure from care and um that council on american and islamic relations uh but he did succeed this year there was a lot of pressure put on by many news outlets including my show Urging them to let him speak, and he did, he was able to speak there recently. That was a big victory that the War College finally had. Was really honored to have Raymond Ibrahim speak there and explain his book, Sword and Scimitar, and explain the what challenge America faces in trying to respond to Islamic aggression and especially civilizational cultural jihad. But even at that, um, even though they finally relented, about two or three weeks before he spoke. At the Army War College. They also invited another alleged expert, and this was someone named John Voll, V O L L, who came, he kind of came, was invited to buffer or counter what Raymond Ibrahim had to say, even before Raymond got got there to talk. So this is John Voll, uh, who is a professor, uh, excuse me, professor emeritus of Islamic history and a past associate director of the Alweed. Bin uh, Talal Center, bin, excuse me, Alawid Bin Talal Center for Muslim-Christian Understanding at Georgetown University, uh, which has received that center has received 20 million dollars uh, from Prince Alawid, the uh, Saudi Arabian prince who's always pushing Islam in America. So they had the War College even before that. Ibrahim came come. Uh, had this guy come to kind of say, you know, we need to be careful. These, they're to bring the Islamic mindset and the uh, the what what he and many people would view as one of the very elements of Islamic cultural, civilizational jihad in America, which is to fund universities and other organizations to spread their view of what Islam really is, to spread the peaceful. We're not really here to take you over. We're just here to be friendly viewpoint. So uh, the good news, the victory, and I'll close out the first five by saying it is a victory that the Army War College got to have Raymond Ibrahim speak there. Uh, it was a little bit chicken hearted on their part, in my view, to uh, first have, and it probably was in response to pressure from care, but to, to first have come on, someone come there and really discount, not only discount the idea that America should be concerned about cultural and civilizational jihad, which is happening right in front of us, um, but also someone who has been particularly critical of Raymond Ibrahim's book, which whether you like uh, him or don't like him or don't appreciate his um, style, the book is encyclopedic in its content, footnoted uh, beyond beyond question. It is truly a scholarly piece that really uh, to make great help America make great progress, more Americans make great progress in understanding the threat we face in our country if we are unable to uh, recognize the forces of civilizational and cultural jihad in our country and respond accordingly. And that, my friends, is today's first five. Well, I mentioned at the start of the show, we have a guest joining us. He will be uh, on the screen, I believe. We have Lieutenant General Stephen Quast and um i will tell you that a quick bit about his background he's a retired air force general former commander of the air education and training command at joint base san antonio randolph Uh, he's a graduate of the united states air force academy uh, with a degree in um astronautical engineering and he holds a master's degree okay well forgive him the harvard part but he holds a master's degree in public policy from harvard kennedy school of government Uh, He's a former fighter pilot with extensive combat and command experience. But the thing we're going to talk about, talk with him about, has to do with the idea of the United States Space Force, something that you likely recall President Trump directed the Department of Defense back in June of 2018 to begin the process necessary to establish a Space Force as the sixth branch of the armed forces. When I finished reading everything I've read to prepare for this interview, I was amazed. How much I didn't realize, and how vile this could be. So, without further ado, I believe we have Lieutenant General Stephen Quast online.
1: Hello, sir. Thank you very much. Hello, good to hear from you, and uh, hope everybody in your family is safe and healthy with this coronavirus.
0: We are safe and healthy, and um, yeah, we are in one of those. I don't know how you are. I don't even know where you live, but on the we're right here, we're in shelter in place, so we're we're home all the time. Well, how are you doing with the virus? Yeah.
1: We're doing good, and everybody's home all the time, but uh, still finding ways of trying to be effective through this wonderful medium we have.
0: That's a true story. Well, I, okay, I will tell you that uh, I I read especially in uh, reading the uh, piece that would come came from in Primus. I think you spoke at Hillsdale mm-hmm. College and. For our listeners, I think everyone or most of our listeners should know Hillsdale College puts out a fabulous periodical called In Primus. and um, you can you can just go online and, and read it. You can have it come to your home. Uh, you can print off all of the uh, speeches. But you talk there about the idea of the U.S. Space Force, and I will tell you, sir, I had no idea why America was actually even thinking about it. So let me start with your experience uh, in in talking about this idea, you have come across or come to realize that there are, um, let me just start with, why do we need a space, that's an easy start question. Why do we need a space force?
1: Right, so I'll use the example of your last story. uh, Abram was trying to get the word out about the facts and the truth about what's going on in the world. Uh, There was a concerted effort by others that didn't want that truth to be told to try to shut it down. Uh, this element of uh, human nature and society and civilizations where information can change the game. If you don't know the truth, if you don't understand what's going on around you, you can't take actions to preserve your liberty or to do things that are meaningful for the prosperity of your people. And the reason why this matters with space is because the reason we need a space force, is not just for its own sake. It's because China and other countries have decided to invest in an infrastructure that will allow them to dominate the communication network that resides in the electromagnetic spectrum all around us. Everything we hear and see, the entire internet, every cell phone, every radio is manipulated and uh, worked through the electromagnetic spectrum. And China is planning on using space not only to design an economy to tap into trillion dollars of market, the information domain on planet earth so when you hear people 5g and its danger it's the fact that china is to employ a communication network globally in space uh, to be able to manipulate any text any email any telephone call and any form of communication so that nobody can talk bad about china just like the, there are certain pockets like uh, uh john Ball that you talked about that doesn't want people don't want people to hear about the truth about what's going on in certain pockets of ex- extremist uh, religions.
0: Wow, that was first of all that's a great thing you made an analogy to my uh, my opening story. Okay, to, so I learned so much about. It. I want to I want to have people uh, to follow through with everything you're saying. To start with, China's more dedicated to this than we are right now China is but explain what they could in practical terms what could they do if China got way ahead of us and they dominated the Space Force before we were there how specifically could they hurt us what could they do with that
1: okay I'll give you two examples and and they are ahead of us in the sense that they've already built a Space Force and they have made it their national vision to dominate the economy of space but i'll give you two examples everybody knows the example of how dependent we are on gps right now and gps is a neural network space-based infrastructure that delivers this little signal that all your cell phones and your cars and your now even your refrigerators pick up um, but we've made ourselves reliant on it even the delivery of water to your house is managed by systems. Uh, a GPS signal to make the timing work. So if we lost the GPS, we would lose our financial, our transportation, our water delivery, and uh, many other capabilities that uh, we, we rely on each day. So if China were to deploy an infrastructure in space and America was not there with them, to compete along with them. They would be, uh, they would have the ability to manipulate the information domain in m- uh, every kind of system used to communicate with the device America. Uh, you could have your text manipulated by an artificial intelligence that can see your text, writing it, frame it, and deliver it wherever deliver it It would be like having a car in your cell phone, but China owns the roads where you can start driving, but you can only go where they want you to go because that's where they built the road. That's one example on the telecommunication piece of this, which is information. And that's the scary one because if you control the narrative, you can control the perception of truth. <clears throat> and China, if they were further ahead on 5G than they are right now, this coronavirus, they might have been able to perpetuate their lie that the coronavirus was planted by the American military and we as an American society would not be able to get the truth out. That's the consequence of the information domain of what they could do with space if they got there first and we were not there with them. The second is energy. From space, you can manipulate energy in a way that could disrupt or paralyze our entire electromagnetic system or basically our energy grid, our power grid. So we rely on electricity for everything that powers the development and the prosperity of our economy. But that would be vulnerable because there would be somebody up there just a few miles above your head, anywhere you're at in America, that can manipulate the energy markets uh, through a neural network of energy in space. So within the next 10 years, China is on track to have a nuclear and solar power generation plant in space that can beam energy to any point on planet Earth at pennies on the dollar for what we deliver with a large infrastructure terrestrially of plants and telephone wires and transformers delivered down to homes and businesses.
0: I'm shaking my head. I I just I had no idea literally until I had actually I think you spoke at something where I had some friends uh, attend and they were saying afterwards, you've got to hear this guy. You've got to understand what he's saying. So the energy production, we go back to one thing you said, the energy production China could do in space. You're talking about actually producing nuclear energy in space. Is that what you're saying?
1: That's correct. And uh, okay. it's not only and nuclear so, energy, but also solar power energy, taking the energy from the sun and converting it to energy that can be delivered to any and,
0: and they could use whatever they have in space to transmit the energy created, the nuclear or solar, transmit that energy to Earth wherever they want it.
1: That's correct. And this is a technology we've known about for for a long, long time. It's not new, uh, but it was never affordable to put it up into space. Uh, but it is now as we are de- developing new ways of getting to space cheaper. Look at Elon Musk, uh, those reentry rockets, He's basically built a model of going to space And instead of having to burn up the rocket that you spent a billion dollars building, instead of burning it up and having to build a new one for the next trip, he's built space access like an automobile where you put gas in the car, you drive it to your location, and you use it again the next day. You don't have to burn your car up every time you drive it.
0: Yeah, It is amazing stuff. So back to China, it's really interesting because we're in the midst of this coronavirus crisis. More Americans, I I think to start with, when President Trump ran and he said, we're going to change our trade arrangements with China. We're not going to continue to permit China to unfairly dominate, to have trade provisions that are simply unfair to the American people. We're going to uh, challenge their theft of intellectual property. All the things he talked about, I think for the first time, Americans began recognizing, or at least a broader swath of Americans started recognizing China isn't really our friend. Now, with the coronavirus, even if you uh, even if the most innocent and organic source of the virus is what is a true story, China still lied to the the world, lied to the World Health Organization, lied to America at the beginning of this. So I think that people are waking up to the idea and we've had many people on the show talking about the 5G and what they're really doing with the Belt and Road Initiative. But people are starting to realize China is not just a, a really swell, interesting trade partner, they actually kind of are an enemy. I mean, they are kind of they are an enemy of America, even though we thought we have to work with them. We have to, uh, you know, we, we can't just ignore them. We have to work with them in the world stage. But the idea of dominance by China of a space force that we are not yet we're not even close to able to compete with right now is very alarming. So tell you wrote, you spoke about and wrote about this idea that that the military establishment has not so far been on track with developing this space force to compete essentially in the same way China is can you talk about why or what's going on with the US military, the Air Force response to what uh, President Trump asked them to do in looking in creating the space force?
1: Well, I think uh, there's one uh, uh, issue in our society that we have been so strong as an American society and so dominant uh, economically, politically, militarily uh, that we start believing that uh, anything we do is going to be as successful as it always was. And this is part of what has befallen, I think, the military. Uh, and that is they, they still think in just purely military terms. But the real purpose of a military officer, the purpose I had when I put on the uniform was to be a peacemaker, meaning that I was so clever, so strategic, so savvy that I was able to build such strength that nobody would ever in a million years ever fire a shot. So winning without firing a shot. Um, but China's movement into space is not military. Uh, They they don't want to have a fight. They want to dominate the economy, yet the military's response is to just build more military capability uh, to be able to defend against what China might do. Um, And the military is not grasping the broader economic uh, potential here, and that's where the disconnect is. So to put it simply, here's what's happening. uh, I, I will use an analogy of the, the Navy and the the, uh, the the area around the ocean. Right now, China is building an, the equivalent of a Navy in space. And the military currently has buoys and lighthouses out there, and they're going to continue building better buoys and lighthouses. But they won't be able to do anything against the massive firepower and dominant maneuver and dominant energy applications and communications that China is building well outside of the orbits. They're building all the way to the moon, and that's why you see their rover on the far side of the moon. We are not answering that call in the military. We are sticking to a very narrow uh, Cold War idea of space, and China is outmaneuvering us into the broader space and to the moon.
0: Well, this is uh, very uh, honestly kind of surprising and and very alarming. You know, one example you gave, I thought was a really good one. I happen to have known this historical fact that during World War One, there was a reticence on the part of the um, American military to embrace the use of airplanes that somehow our history with military uh, up until that point was that we had infantry, we have troops on the ground, and so we were short-sighted was one word that was used about uh, with General Pershing and Douglas MacArthur opposing the development of the airplane and the tank because they saw them as subservient to the infantry. It's, and I, I know you're saying China does not want to have a war in space, but they want to be dominant, and we need to be responding. We're kind of reacting now, our military is the way that Pershing and MacArthur did to the airplane in World War One. I. I thought that was a great analogy.
1: Well, the, uh, the, the human nature uh, that takes place in these kind of journeys does not change. And so just as uh, if, if General Pershing and General MacArthur could have seen how many Americans had to be sacrificed because we did not develop a plane better than the Germans and we did not develop a tank better than the Germans, uh, they would have changed their position. But here we sit again at the edge of a new frontier in space that will have such power, it will pale in comparison to, it'll, it'll make the airplane and the tank pale in comparison yet we are not allowing space to be developed independent of the Air Force. It is still a subservient organization within the Air Force that has to go through the Air Force budget to be able to do its thing. And uh, the Air Force thinks that the main event is serving the forces on the ground and to service the satellites in space. And the main event is competing economically with China. That's the major disconnect. We're falling into the same trap.
0: Well, we may have lost our connection there. I'm not sure. Um, you know, we this is, folks, I am so excited about this guest. And I was very disappointed. If we somehow lost the connection. Maybe they'll maybe Matt, the wonderful, will try to do it again. We are um, doing the show, obviously, because we're in the coronavirus uh, era, where we have a shelter in place here in Dallas. and do doing my show from home. We had it all set up. And Matt, the wonderful producer, is helping from his home. And, and we have this interview going. I hope we can get it back. But while we're waiting and see if we can reconnect with General Quast, I will tell you that... This piece, I really urge. In fact, everything I ever talk about my show, you can read the articles uh, that I was uh, referring to by going to our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org, and on the home page under Shows, drop down list of links, you can read this very article. This is from Imprimis, which is from Hillsdale College, and Imprimis is the one, uh, the entity that that. Um, put this speech that General quast gave at Hillsdale uh, into a readable format. And I honestly, I learned so much about where we are in terms of not having them. We aren't even developing the tools. We're not even responding to a President Trump's request to work on the Space Force by creating the tools that will make us able to compete with China. We're, as he was just saying before we were cut off, you know, we're kind of using the idea of a Space Force as The entity, the backup to help our ground troops do better. Oh, there we are. Okay, good. Do we have a connection?
1: I know.
0: Okay, so I'll just jump in and ask the next question. So, what would you, General Quas, if you were able to direct the entire military response to President Trump's request to develop a space force? What, what, what is what is needed for us to be able to actually compete with China?
1: Yeah, so can you hear me okay? Yes. Yeah, okay. So yeah, that was the Chinese interrupting our conversation because they don't want people to. <laughs> Might have been. Uh, and, uh, but uh, what I will tell you is uh, the president can do two things. One is uh, give the, uh, the Space Force the mission of defending commerce in space. This is equivalent of giving the Navy the mission of defending the open oceans commerce, which Teddy Roosevelt gave them when the Great White Fleet was built. And the second thing he needs to do is give them an area of responsibility uh, that extends all the way to the moon. So that if we ever have an astronaut on the moon in 2024, and they, then China tries to start messing with us, that the American people know that their astronauts will be defended and recovered and rescued if required by the Space Force.
0: I love that you have this article i was mentioning while we had our unfortunate um intermission there i was mentioning that what you spoke what you said when you spoke at hillsdale and is included in this in primus article it spells out a variety i mean it spells out the problem in in very clear easy to understand language about the difference between how china is approaching what they're doing in their space force work and how america so far has been responding um and you also had um a, a long variety of steps that we could take if we get serious about this. So what is your sense? Is the military uh, resp- beginning to respond better to what President Trump is trying to have them do, or, or are you on a mission to try to, to, to get them to respond in a, in a broader way?
1: This, this gets back uh, to, to leadership, and there are plenty of people that believe that this is true uh, that, and, and that we must do this, and uh, but, but they're also trapped. They're trapped by a process. Uh, and so right now, the fact that the Space Force has to beg, borrow, and steal for every dollar they spend through the Air Force budget uh, will make it compete against the airplanes and the, and the uh, other things the Air Force has to build. That is a, um, an unfair dilemma. And uh, it's, it's the old example, if you give people an impossible problem, uh, even great people are going to falter. That's why this president needs to help them by giving them the mission. Otherwise, they'll just continue to sub-optimize a better satellite fleet that won't be able to actually solve the problem of competing with China in the economy of space.
0: That's just great answers. And actually, I do, beyond the piece I've mentioned several times in prime is where can people go learn uh, more about what you're doing and what you're trying to advance? Is there some other place you can send them on the Internet or?
1: absolutely well uh they they you know this internet is such a beautiful thing because you can just find information uh, all over the place so all you have to do is uh google uh fast space or the space force and or any industrialization of space and the the opportunity for america here this is as follows it one our young generation sees this they see that space will be able to provide things for humanity that can get rid of pollution that can help connect us with information that we don't have to mistrust. Right now, the internet can't be trusted. You know, your information can be used as a weapon against you. Um, So we can provide uh, clean air, abundant energy, uh, trusted information. In a connected world where the coronavirus shows our interconnection, these are things we could build as as a community, but it needs to start with leadership in America and our economy is the one that can help usher in a new era. It would be like building the Panama Canal to increase the prosperity of the entire Western Hemisphere. If American can build an infrastructure in space predicated on the economy, and they have a space force that can defend that economy, we will usher in a new era of economic power and economic might and prosperity and lift people out of poverty.
0: I love that that was one of the many points, but you can't go into all of what you uh, spoke about, uh, about the space force. But the idea of producing energy in space, I mean, that alone, all of the convoluted arguments we have in this country about whether we should do fracking, and whether whether fossil fuels are good or bad, all of that notion of producing energy in space, there's so many very positive things, uh, which, which I just, I'm, I'm, I'm amazed that there isn't more energy behind this idea uh, to to prioritize, I guess, if there's the word, well, prioritize of course, for America.
1: Yeah, it, it's hard and it's, it, you know, it's, it, you have to forgive people because uh, when we went from uh, wooden ships and sails to iron ships and coal and oil, uh, the sail making industry and the wood building, wood shipbuilding industry fought President Roosevelt uh, tooth and nail. Uh, so we are built up around an entire economic uh, giant that is doing things the way we do them today. It's very hard to break out of this. When, S- when Tesla and Edison uh, offered electricity into the homes uh, the candle makers of the world rebelled. I mean, it was a, it was a big deal. We don't remember that because we weren't alive uh, when that took place. But the same thing is happening as people cling to the present and the status quo and something that disruptive, that big is hard to do even if it could solve the pollution problem. Because Right now, the opportunity is for the first time in human history, human beings have the engineering know-how to reach to the heavens for all of our needs as a way of augmenting things on earth so we can get rid of pollution and we can provide energy to people even if they don't live near a city, provide water to them even if they don't live next to a lake or near an aquifer or, or the ocean to desalinate. These are the kinds of problems we can solve that are kind to the earth and prosperous for our people. But you need leaders that are willing to tell the story and take the risk to build new.
0: Lieutenant General Quash, that is a, first of all, you're very, you're very passionate, which I love. I urge everyone listening to read the article from Primus. That is his speech. It's a the speech he gave at Hillsdale College. And to understand more about this, honestly, I, I feel like once I finished reading, I was thinking, I can't believe I didn't know about this, this whole opportunity for America. And yet you know, we get caught up in the immediacy of our problems in our country. You know, right now we're all focusing on coronavirus and there are sometimes there, you know, last year focused on caravans at the borders, but this is forward thinking and this is preemptive as to keeping our, uh, our American country uh, with, you know, not I don't want to say we're in battling with China, but we're we're keeping ourselves even with China. We're not letting them get ahead and putting us and and preventing them from putting us in a dangerous situation where we are then reliant on them because they've got the dominance in the space in the space world.
1: Right. And regardless of China. Uh, Even if China were not in this equation, but they are, so that's why we have to move fast. Even if they weren't, we have to recognize this coronavirus is teaching us something. And it's teaching us that we are too vulnerable as a society. We don't have the resilience. And space can allow us to have resilient energy because we can bring energy from multiple places, not just from an electrical wire, but from radio waves that are safe for human beings from space. We can have resilient food uh, supply chains, and we don't have to rely on outsourcing it. We can have resilient manufacturing because we have abundant energy in America and a workforce that wants to work, so we don't have to outsource pharmaceuticals to China. So this wake-up call by the coronavirus actually applies to a space force where we start with the guardians that protect our economy so that American entrepreneurs can build infrastructure and space to deliver resilience to the American communities so we have food and water we can rely on, shelter that's affordable, energy that's abundant and reliable, and information that can be trusted.
0: Lieutenant General Cross, that this is just an amazing interview. Thank you so much for taking time and joining me today. I loved it. I learned so much. Thank you very, very much.
1: Well, thank you, and God bless you, and stay safe.
0: Thank you, sir. Stay safe also. And that, my friends, I can't urge you strongly enough to read what I was just re- referring to from Imprimus. Um, Again, it's on our website, AmericanCanWeTalk.org. You can read all the stories we're talking, all the articles I use in preparing today's show. I want to hit uh, two last quick pre- uh, topics. One is as we get through this coronavirus, and again, I, I wanna be hopeful, we will get through this. America will survive, we will bring back our free market economy. We need many, we need millions of Americans standing up and saying, we want our, our country back, we're gonna fight, we're gonna fight to bring our economy back, we're gonna, you know, we're gonna be participating in all the steps we have to take to keep us safe from the coronavirus. Um, including all the, you know, hand washing, et cetera, things we're doing, but we're going to have our country back. We're in a bit of a panic mode right now, and we have to believe in our country enough, know we can get it back. But once we are past the crisis, there is a lot of talk now, and I want to really encourage you to think about what we should do um, when we're done with this. There are more and more people talking about we need to have investigations uh, conducted by our country into number one, what actually happened in Wuhan. What happened in China, where this virus came from? There are many brilliant pieces out there by experienced military people saying, you know, there just may have been a bioweapons lab source. Other people saying, no, this isn't behaving like a bioweapons lab source, but whatever it is, we need to get at how it happened, you know, understanding how it was transmitted, if it really was organic, if it's animal to human, what the transmission process was. How long did China withhold information? To whom did they lie? All the data which are very, very hard to get from China as a starting point, we have to hold the international community has to hold China accountable for what occurred in China, especially to the extent there was any deliberate misleading of the world, which I think is almost clear that it was. But we in, in addition to looking into China. The world has to look into the World Health Organization. It's unclear, as they say, what did they know and when did they know it? The World Health Organization apparently uh, very allied with China, very willing to have China uh, you know, directed as to what to say. So as late as I think it was January 28th, the World Health Organization announcing there's no reason to think that there's human to human uh, uh, human-to-human passing uh, contagion with this Wuhan virus. As, they, as the country of China is watching a disaster unfold in Wuhan, and yet the World Health Organization putting that up, looking into who, because we, America and other countries, fund the World Health Organization, we need to be understanding where they swayed, what are their processes, so we're sure that they are telling us the truth. We also have to look into the American response and how quickly we respond, what we can learn from it. And all this doesn't necessarily have to mean that we are looking to have criminal liability or civil liability. It means though, we have to hold actors accountable. We have to, if China really did act as badly as many people think they did, that they were withholding information deliberately somehow either hoping to contain it or, the far more sinister alternative, some people are very seriously worried about, which is, you know, did China actually permit this to be released? Did they use it? Was it intentional? Were there other countries involved in an intentional release? We can't just be satisfied with when it's over. There's a great piece out from the Center for Security Policy, uh, Fred Flights wrote, or uh, which was up at Fox and other places at their websites, at our website also, uh, talking about the, the depth of detail of the investigation. And I will tell you that there is some. Thought that we need to have our own Congress, our, our House and Senate committee, you know, the various committees, hold hearings and investigate. I will tell you that I think we should. Um, I think if we have a continue to have a Democrat majority in the U.S. House, based on their conduct over the last three years. Where they have spent all of the investigatory power they had to somehow try to hurt Donald Trump, to somehow try to attack him, to blame him for things that he didn't do. To cook, they cooked up the Russia-Trump collusion. They let it go on and on and on and on. They went after him and impeaching him and on, on based on lies, based on nothing. I don't think that we're going. We should, as Americans we should not assume we can get any straight answers if the same people who ran the Democrat impeachment hearings and the Democrat-run Russia-Trump collusion uh, hoax, those same people cannot be relied on to look into this with respect to the conduct of China and, um, and the World Health Organization or even our own government because all, what they have proven to us is they, of course, are only committed to destroying President Trump and beyond that, they're not really interested in pursuing much of anything else. I think there's a need for America to realize that this is a price you pay for the extreme partisanship in in Washington, especially come out of the Democrat Party. In fact, I didn't uh, save the clip for today, but Nancy Pelosi was talking recently about how she sees uh, that when we're done with this, we're going to have an after-the-fact investigation into uh, President Trump and how he handled this. They're looking for yet another reason to attack President Trump to say that he somehow, you know, uh, because of his actions, was uh, in some way responsible for a delayed response. Uh, we'll get into this uh, some other time. But there was, a, a, you know, we talked about a little bit uh, yesterday, also on this show, about how at the time that President Trump was trying to begin America's response and take steps to defend America. Uh, the Democrats were were consumed twenty four seven with trying to impeach him, so they're really not in a great position to be arguing that they should be, um, you know, that that they should uh, get to have an investigation and and point fingers at President Trump. I think it is. I mean, it's it's sad to call it finger pointing, but there's a vital need to understand how this happened and what we can learn from it. I know back and back in times. Uh, When President Obama was president, one of the recommendations made after we've gotten through swine flu was that the hospitals were running low on face masks. The uh, commission put together after swine flu, one of the recommendations was we must produce more face masks. We must have them on hand. Those recommendations never followed by the Obama administration. So we ended up where we were, we had a face mask shortage in this crisis. the goal to learn from this episode and move forward is a vital one. And the last and quick point I wanna make, and I'm gonna be talking more and more about this in the the coming weeks and months. Americans who are staying at home as we are, because we have, where I live, a shelter in place, and many people have a shelter in place, or we have businesses closed, restaurants closed, so we have a lot of limited limitations on American activity. There is a need for some revision in federal and state law, and even county regulation with respect to the question of what recourse does a citizen have to challenge orders of the kind you're now living under that are based on the uh, viruses and based on health threats of various kinds. What recourse do any citizens have or should we have to challenge these kinds of orders? and i say that because i think that in this in this time we are seeing for example in my county Dallas County we're under shelter in place order that was based entirely by our own county commissioner our county judge who is the highest officer the, the you know highest official of, of the county holding up data saying look this is look at all this terrible data look what's going to happen this is why we have to have shelter in place this is why you know, this is why it's very severe here in terms of you're not to leave your home unless it's to go uh, to purchase essential items at the grocery store or for you know prescriptions or medical appointments. Otherwise, you're not supposed to leave. And the data this county commissioner was relying on was produced by Hillary Clinton allies, left-wingers, who, whose predictions and numbers and the scary-looking charts they used were not consistent with the numbers the CDC was producing. They were more alarming, more severe, more threatening. And because of those numbers, because of charts produced by leftists, used by local authorities that have power to issue emergency declarations, everyone's frozen in place. There is no provision in law for citizens to challenge these shelter-in-place rules these rules of how long you must shelter in place when businesses can shut down, how long do restaurants have to be closed? Because right now we're under an order in the state of Texas, all restaurants closed, all bars closed, you know, I'm getting at the point that when immediate emergency orders are given for things like a tornado, a hurricane or a you know an active shooter situation where you have to have emergency orders. You have to say we have a you know massive flooding coming due to a tornado or hurricane. You know stay out of low lying areas, stay off the roads. When you have an order based on future prognostications, predictions, models claiming uh, the spread of coronavirus or any other other health threat, no end in sight no apparent limitation on any official as to how long they can order you to stand to stay in place to shelter in place how long they can order restaurants to be shut down how long they can order all business to cease i mean we are we are frozen in place in texas and all over this country there needs to be consideration of what recourse should a citizen have to have a legal right at some point to challenge these orders, to challenge them, because maybe we want to have input not just from the health officials who are always going to be, and and maybe that's how they're supposed to be, but the health policy, the public public health people, and the people in charge of government uh, entities, like the county commissioner and the mayors of cities, they're always going to err on the side of safety, and they should. They should have an intuitive sense that they're going to put in place orders that are most likely to keep most people safe. So people thinking, well, it might be okay if we lift the shelter in place after three weeks are not going to be listened to when others are saying, no, 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 no. You know, still could be a problem. Much safer. Keep shelter in place for two months. There has to be provision. There need to be revisions. In law and in regulation, that gives citizens a recourse to challenge long-standing, you know, no duration, end in sight uh, rulings that that shut down the economy and shut down society. There needs to be some kind of adversarial process available, so citizens can say, you know, we want to challenge this. You didn't even rely on data that was accurate. We want to have some balancing made in this process, so that people who can work in institutions where everyone can stay six feet apart everyone we don't have to be sharing you know equipment of any kind we can we can scrub it down every day or 10 times a day we can keep it clean we have to have some way that we citizens can have recourse against these kinds of orders to challenge the legitimacy the duration the scope all of it so among the many ideas I think there need to be is a, an avenue for citizens, a challenge. Secondly, I think for federal uh, edicts of various kinds, guidelines issued by the federal government, by all levels of government, there also needs to be legitimate room, a policymaking role, a seat at the table for policy-making that concerns the economy, the fiscal health of the country, the, 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 very, the whole commerce of our country. We can't have what the situation now, which is when the health authorities say everything must be shut down, we all, we all just sit in place. We all are frozen in place. And when people try to say, but we need to have consideration of the idea when need, people need to go back to work. We need to have people able to go back to work, we need to have businesses open, we need to have the possibility of reopening uh, segments of society, we need to have policy decision makers at the table who are weighing in, not with just the health risks, but the economy, the welfare of our country, the, the welfare of our very existence as a country. Because people, if we stay shut down for as long as some of the policy policymaking, public policy, public health policymakers are advocating, we will have destroyed our free market economy. We will be rebuilding America from the ground up. We will have a massive, massive economic problem on our hands, a massive depression that will take years and years to climb out of. We have to say, moving forward, after through this crisis phase, we're going to adjust the way we make policies so that other entities, other people, other considerations get a place at the table in the conversation of how to address even serious crises like this. I'm probably about out of time. I so appreciate the ability to be able to do this show from home as we launch forward during this uh, coronavirus uh, mandated crisis or coronavirus uh, created crisis and the uh, public policy that is in place, at least where I live, uh, which is the shelter in place. But I do wanna close out the show as I always do by telling you why the stories we talked about today matter to you. So to start, for why these stories matter to you, uh, victory for Ibrahim at the uh, American Army War College. COVID-19 is not the only threat to America. Islamic terrorism remains a huge problem for America. Raymond Ibrahim, US-born, Egyptian ancestry, Islam expert, a a show guest of mine a couple of times, has sounded the alarm about radical Islam for years. You must read his book, Sword and Scimitar. Muslim activist groups successfully pressured the Army War College in 2019 to cancel Ibrahim's speech. This year, the Army War College let him speak about the incompatibility of Islamic doctrine and Western freedom. However, the Army War College invited a speaker with contrary views to speak. Just a few weeks ahead of Ibrahim's talk, a man whose institution received a $20 million Saudi grant, which is another form of Islamization or cultural job. anti-American dangers of Islamic doctrine must not be obscured as they were at the Army War College. As to the virus investigation, World Health Organization in China, the World Health Organization be wary of any organization claiming world authority. You're not kidding. Who is heavily, uh, I'm going to just call it who is World Health Organization, who is heavily funded by China. It it issued January 2020 disclaimer as to -to human-to-human spread risks of China virus. Its rep refused to answer questions about Taiwan, which mainland China does not recognize as independent. This guy pretended he couldn't hear the question, the WHO representative, the World Health Organization, because he doesn't want to acknowledge Taiwan exists. WHO continues to praise China's response despite growing evidence of the Communist Party of China hiding and lying post-crisis credible professional investigations will be essential to improvement to our reaction to the next problem like this world health organization cdc fema fda and state governments and virus should drive changes in u.s law i am talking about this more people citizen recourse is a critical concept we must be able to fight back against losses of freedom some ideas to consider Mandatory shutdowns of the economy must be decided by more than just healthcare public policy experts, must include economic, business, market experts. Citizens need a viable recourse to challenge long term shelter in place orders. Data sourcing requirements citizens have to be able to challenge volume and variety of perspectives on the data they're relying on. We need time limits on emergency shelter in place orders. Without a court review that includes adversarial presentation of evidence, freedom and respect for free self-governing American citizens must be a top priority of legislative and policy decisions. And that my friends, is my show for today. This is America Can We Talk for today. I thank you so much for tuning in every week, Monday through Thursday, 3 p.m. Central Time. I urge you to go to our website, AmericaCanWeTalk.org. On the home page, hit the subscribe button. You'll get a once-week email from me with all the information, links to the show topics we discussed during the week, lots of other good stuff. Love to have you subscribe. It's free. You just give. You just go to website AmericaCanWeTalk.org. Hit subscribe. You're done. I also urge you to email me if you want to talk ask questions uh, topics you love to have me talk about ask me for sources if you don't see it on our website I love talking with you I love doing really is talking about America the extraordinary the most precious extraordinary experiment in human Liberty ever to bless this earth America needs Patriots in every generation to stand up speak up talk about the greatness of America, why America is great, why it's unique, and why it is our job in this generation to be the defenders in this generation of this extraordinary experiment in human liberty. I love talking about America. I love talking about the top issues of the day in the context of defending and protecting and preserving America, the uniquely great. I'm Debbie George-Addis. This is America, Can We Talk? I love talking to you. Come back each day, Monday through Thursday at 3 p.m to talk about America. I talk about America every day, because America matters. I'll talk to you next time.
1: America, can we talk truth about America?